0: Welcome, page
1: 25.
0: This past uh, Sunday, you guys remember all the rain on Sunday, how bad it came down? I left here Sunday morning, right after we were done, to head to the Cleveland area to uh, visit with a pastor friend, and then pick up my wife at the airport because she had been from Thursday to Sunday in Jacksonville to visit the Owens, who used to be our associate pastor. So she was spending some days with them. She had never been down there since they went uh, four years ago. So I was picking her up uh, in Cleveland. Why Cleveland? Because they have a direct flight from to Jacksonville. There is no direct flight to Jacksonville from Detroit. So we decided that it would be better for me to drive the two hours there and back than her have layovers <laughs> which, which I agreed with, uh, and I don't mind the driving. But I left here to go and do that. Once, since I had to pick her up anyway, I thought I'd set up this thing with this pastor friend who lives out there. So I had it all set, and I'm driving there, and it is coming down just torrent. I can't see. It is that bad. And, but I just have to keep plowing ahead because my appointment with him, I'm barely going to make it on time. And the wind, and I'm listening to the radio, and they've got tornado warnings for towns in Ohio as I'm getting closer, and I don't know if these are towns right by me or not because I don't know the name of these towns. But I just know it's a lot of winds and all that. And I'm thinking to myself, how is my wife going to make it with a flight from Jacksonville into Cleveland with this kind of stuff going on? But you know, the airlines know what they're doing, right? <laughs> so they
2: always divert the flight to Detroit.
0: So I get a text from Kim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get a text from Kim saying we're leaving a half hour later, mm-hmm. just giving me a heads up. All right, so she'll arrive a half hour later, and I'm thinking maybe that's why. They're going to wait until the winds die down, and they'll arrive then. So I visit with my pastor friend. I get over to the Cleveland airport, and I wait, and I wait for about 20 minutes, and then 30, and then 40, and nothing's happening. And I keep looking at this app on my phone that's supposed to update when the flight is, is coming in, but it's not updating very well. Uh, and then at one point, all of a sudden it does update, and it says arrival time. I was there at 6 o'clock in the evening. It says arrival time 7.30, 7.30. Now, at this point, I should have added, I haven't eaten anything today. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll go get dinner. And she'll arrive at 7.30. So I leave to go get dinner. And while I'm going to do that and trying to find a place, Kim texts me and says, uh, we've landed. <laughs> in Pittsburgh.
3: <gasps>
4: she's
0: on the ground in Pittsburgh. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't my geography's not great. So. And I'm saying to her, "How are you? How do you feel? You know, how was it?" She's it was awful. The flight was awful. She had the flight from Ghana. And it turns out, I found out after I finally did get her, that they did make it to Cleveland. They just couldn't land. So they're in all of this wind, and it is tossing this plane around. And the guy is trying all sorts of maneuvers to try to land, and he he couldn't do it. So he finally gets on the horn and tells them, "We're going to have to go to Pittsburgh." So they go to Pittsburgh, and again, my geography. And I say to her, "I was just saying it to be nice. Do you want me to come and get you?" (laughs) I didn't expect her to take me up on it. (laughs) And she says, "Well, how far is it?" And I didn't know. And I look it up, but it turns out it's only two hours. It was only two hours, but still, I was going to get some food. <laughs> so I just tell her I'm coming. So I do the two hours to, to get her. The two hours. The two hours. Uh, you know, back toward Cleveland, and then you know, from there it was about four hours total to get back to here. So we arrived home at 1.10 a.m. on uh, Monday morning. So I tell you all of that, so you all feel bad for me. So you all know what a great guy I am, going out there to Pittsburgh to go and get my wife. So welcome everybody. Glad to uh, have you. Do
5: you want us to applaud?
6: Yeah, you
0: should have. You should have applauded, Yeah, thank you. Hey. Oh, and it is. It is my. It is my wife's birthday today. Yes. Today is her birthday. And she does not look the number of her birthday. She looks much younger than she actually is.
5: That's from being married to you, right?
0: <laughs> well, if you get catered to like that, you yeah. <laughs> Really.
5: i got to go get my life. That is recorded.
0: All right, I re- <laughs> so I remind you about the book I mentioned last week. We have some copies of Why We Are Protestant, a little book that is very good. <clears throat> That explains the main doctrinal issues in the Protestant Reformation. So those are behind this wall. If you want to pick one up before you leave today. As we look at what the Reformers produced after they broke with Rome, it's important for us to remember that as they left the Church of Rome, that they would inevitably bring some baggage with them. Remember who the reformers were. Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. These were Roman Catholics. So they're going to bring some of their Catholicism with them. So what they did, although it was monumental, it only went so far. Because for them, Reformation is one thing, but a radical reordering of not just church, but really all of society were going to see. That if you were going to really radically restructure the church and its theology, that was going to affect all of of society as well. So Reformation is one thing, but a radical reordering of the church and society is quite another for them. So in order to take the next steps to restoring a thoroughly biblical church, others, not the reformers, not Luther, not Calvin, not Zwingli, others were going to have to take on that work. And that's what page 25 in your notes starts. At the top there you see it says the Radical Reformation. So this is now a Reformation within the Reformation. You have the Reformation started by Luther and then joined by Calvin and others, but now you also had folks who determined that it needed to be taken further, thus the name Radical Reformation. We've seen that, top of page 25, the Reformation sought to correct several severe abuses of the professing church. As a result, they sought to reestablish several key doctrines. The authority of scripture, justification by faith alone, the priesthood of the believer, and so on. However, we've noted the hesitancy of the reformers to thoroughly reform the church, owing to their backgrounds in the Roman system. The residue of the Roman church can be seen primarily in the structure of the major Protestant denominations, both liturgical and political. Liturgical, that means the way they worship, their liturgy. And then political, meaning the way they're governed. And as you look at the denominations that came out of the major reformers, uh, through the major reformers, Lutheran through Luther, Reformed through Calvin and Swingley, um, Anglican later with the English Reformation. Uh, if you look at as you look at all of that, and you look at the liturgy, you look at the way they worship, and you look at the way the churches are governed then they're carrying with them still vestiges of uh, Roman Catholicism. And they didn't thoroughly overhaul those things. Now, they changed in extremely important ways the most important things. The most important things are the authority of Scripture, justification by faith alone, all of that. Those are foundational. But these other things are not unimportant. And you had other reformers, the radical reformers, saying we need to do... Those things as well. So there were some who, I say in that last, uh, bottom of that paragraph, there were some who implemented a complete overhaul of the Roman system. These so-called radical reformers were the Anabaptists. And in turn, the Anabaptists are the spiritual ancestors of the modern-day Baptists. So we'll see uh, some of these Anabaptists, even what the word Anabaptist means in just a moment. Uh, and then that'll set the stage for seeing how the Baptist movement came out of this Anabaptist movement, which was part of the Radical Reformation. So, Radical Reformation 1525 to 1580. As stated above, many saw the need to thoroughly reform the corrupt Roman system. The most vocal representatives <clears throat> of this view were called the Anabaptists, meaning this rebaptizers. Due to their insistence that those seeking membership in the church be baptized again, as they did not recognize the validity of infant baptism, so this is radical. To say that if you were in the Roman Catholic Church and you were baptized as an infant, which everybody was, or even if you had if you had joined Zwingli's church, and he's a reformer or Calvins, and they're still doing infant baptism because they're carrying over some of their liturgy from the Roman system. So they're still doing that. They're saying if you're going to come into our church, you're going to have to be baptized. Um, And that was seen as a radical, and not only radical from an ecclesiastical standpoint, a church standpoint, but from a societal standpoint. Because baptism was initiation into citizenship as well. So it wasn't just a church thing. It had, become a, uh, it had become a political thing as well. So you can just imagine then how radical that was seen to be. Now on this issue of baptism, Spingley, remember, he got it right on the Lord's table. I don't know if you remember that, but he had this colloquy. With Luther, they met together. They agreed on 14 of 15 points of doctrine. One point they could not agree on was the Lord's table. And Swingley took the memorial view of the Lord's table, that it's to remember the Lord's death. So they didn't agree on that. Swingley got that right. He even understood baptism, but he wouldn't make the change. Look at this quote. Swingley wrote, If we were to baptize as Christ instituted it, then we would not baptize any person until he reached the age of discretion. For I find it nowhere written that infant baptism is to be practiced. Okay, that would be good. However, he added this, we must practice infant baptism so as not to offend our fellow men. So he was not willing to part with that. And he was not willing to part with it because it was so well entrenched into not only church life but life in general. So you had uh, those who said that's not that's not good enough, and some of those names are, are listed here: Conrad Grable in Switzerland, which is where uh, which is where Swingley was. In fact, uh, he was a student of Swingley, and. Swingley's early view that infant baptism had no biblical warrant had appealed to Grable. Because insistence on believer's baptism, though, would deprive many of the franchise, Swingley gave up his earlier stand. So Swingley said that it has no biblical warrant, as we saw, but he ultimately determined we can't do it. We can't stop baptizing infants. It's too well entrenched. And it would deprive many of the franchise. What does that mean? It means citizenship. It would deprive people of full entrance into, into the, the community, into society. It was that well ingrained. And so because of that, we, we need to keep it, said said Swingley. Grable disagreed. As did then in Germany, Balthasar Hubmeier, He advocated that baptism needed to be for believers. So this is what the rebaptizers were saying, the Anabaptists were saying. They were saying that only believers can be baptized. Believers' baptism. And infants aren't believers. They can't believe, they don't know, therefore they're not candidates for baptism. So all of these are advocating for that. They would also say we're not re-baptizing. So the name Ab- Anabaptist was actually a derogatory term given to them they didn't call themselves that they were called that and they were called re-baptizers but they would say we're not re-baptizing because you've actually never been baptized that first thing you did just got you wet it wasn't actually baptism so this is not re-baptizing this is actually being baptized for the for the first time so you have Grable in Switzerland you've got Hubmeier in, in Germany And then Menno Simons in the Netherlands. And Menno, unusual first name, but we get Mennonite from that. The Mennonites come from this name, who was one of the Anabaptists. He assumed leadership of what he called the Brethren, the name that the Anabaptists of the Netherlands adopted in order to get rid of the stigma attached to the name Anabaptist. So they didn't call themselves Anabaptists. They didn't like that name. It wasn't accurate. So uh, Menno Menno Simons uh, took the name the, the Brethren. So what were their views? Well, Common views of the Anabaptists are that they insisted on the authority of the Bible as a final and infallible rule of faith and practice. They believed that the pure church was to be a free association of the regenerated rather than a state church with some unsaved in it. Let's stop there for a moment. But you see, when you you have citizenship and you have church membership, or entrance into the community of faith tied into infant baptism, well, now the church is going to be populated, in part at least, by people who aren't regenerated people. They're not actually Christian people. They're just here because this is the place to be. This is what everybody does. So they are saying, that it needs to be a free association, not something someone is forced into in infancy, a free association of people who are born again, that's what re- regenerated means, rather than a state church with some unsaved in it. They also practiced the baptism of believers. Most of them insisted on the complete separation of church and state, and would have nothing to do with the state, uh, state churches. So that's the... Uh, that's the Anabaptists, the so-called rebaptizers. Now, that's who they are. What I want to do is uh, show you the DVD. This is about 20 minutes, and then we'll come back to uh, page 26. And this portion that I'm going to show you has to do with the Radical Reformation.
3: transformation from the defender of the faith to the head of his own church, Rome has been dealt a severe blow. However, the Pope isn't the only one facing an uprising within his ranks. Ironically, one of Luther's most hated opponents, Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli, is facing the same problem. Zwingli believes that traditions not specifically found in the New Testament should be rejected, even if they've been handed down from the early church. As a result, his church in Zurich has radically altered services, removing images and even music.
5: Zwingli was also a very fine musician, but did not think that music belonged to the church. So Zurich church services had no music. It was simply listening to sermons, joining in prayers, and so on, but there's no music in the service itself.
3: This is in stark contrast to Luther, who not only promotes congregational singing, but publishes some of the first hymns. For Luther, music is just one of many traditions open for discussion. For Luther,
7: it's indifferent, as long as people are not worshiping a cross or worshiping a statue in an idolatrous way, it doesn't matter.
3: So Lutheran churches do not have the chance. Once again, Luther and Swingley disagree. Yet despite the drastic changes Zwingli has made to his church, some of his followers believe he hasn't gone far enough. A group led by Felix Muntz and Conrad Grebel, co-laborers of Zwingli's is coming to even more radical conclusions as it studies the New Testament. What they were is people from Zwingli's congregation and other Reformed congregations
7: who took to heart. His teaching and Luther's teaching that the Bible
6: alone was the source of God's wisdom, a young radical like Conrad Rimm, who said, uh, who's in charge here? Is this a political process, or are we listening to the scripture here? And Zwingli would have said uh, that, you know, you have to be realistic. And Conrad Rimm would have said, that's not the point. The point is something new is breaking in here. Their
3: criticism of Zwingli stems from their understanding of one of the cornerstones of Christendom, baptism. For more than 1500 years the church has baptized children at infancy bringing them into the church as soon as possible
1: all who are baptized are automatically in some relationship with the church of christ by virtue of baptism because there is one lord one faith one baptism so when we are baptized we are regenerated reborn spiritually as children of god adopted children of the father because we are incorporated into the body of Christ. We become sons and daughters in
3: the one son. The high infant mortality rate in the 16th century provides a practical impetus to the Catholic Church's theology.
5: If you were an unbaptized baby, you had died before you could be baptized, you would be heading for limbo. Limbo is is something like an eternal waiting room. You're not going to get from there to heaven, there's no pain or suffering, But it's just a waiting place, and nothing much happens to you. So there was a very big pressure to have babies baptized as soon as they appeared from the womb, because you did not want to be separated from your baby and have your baby in limbo all the time.
3: Like Martin Luther, Sweden still accepts infant baptism, though he believes it is a sign of God's faithfulness, not a means of salvation.
5: The reformer viewed baptism akin to circumcision in the Old Testament. Baptism is what marks an individual as a part of the covenant community. The parents were told that if your child died unbaptized, it did not mean that his child was lost or not going to be in heaven. Because the idea was God saves families, God saves communities, and the covenant of God is with his faithful and their children. After. But baptism was still necessary because it was a mark of the covenant.
3: You, to the Christian community. Zwingli, Luther, and the Catholic Church are all dead wrong, according to max and Grable, who find no examples of infant baptism in Scripture. When they read the Bible, they believed there could only be a baptism of a true believer, meaning adult baptism, because a baby can understand salvation. Like the reformers they admire, Zwingli's followers are simply reading the scripture for themselves and drawing their own conclusions. And their conclusion is that baptism is only for those who have made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, not
2: for infants. They believe that a child was born into Greece, and then as the child got older and was able then to decide whether they're going to follow Jesus or not, at that point, the baptism is meaningful.
7: The decision to follow
6: Christ is often very costly. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that's a decision that uh, requires all understanding. And to embrace and make that decision and have it marked by baptism is an adult rule. The
3: idea that only adults should be baptized by being fully submerged under water is shocking and controversial in 1525. For one thing, Infant baptism is linked with citizenship.
4: Being baptized marked you as a member of society, and it also marked you as a subject of the particular Christian government that you were under. In some cases, there may even have been parish records so that then your name would be recorded, and it was a marker of being a member of that community. Anabaptists refused to baptize their children, and this was seen as subversive by all of the different governments involved. It was a rejection of the established social order, of the concept of
3: Christendom. Baptizing adults also suggests the church is not a social and cultural institution that shapes families over generations, but a group made solely of people who have chosen to be there. To Ulrich Singley, these new ideas about adult baptism are nothing short of heresy. Now, from Stingley's point of view, this was a rebaptism
7: because all these people had already been baptized as babies, and that's a great offense. And he calls these people Anabaptists, and that's a derogatory term, it means people who baptize again.
4: The Anabaptists did not consider their baptisms as rebaptisms because they didn't consider their first baptisms as valid.
3: The Anabaptists had other revolutionary ideas, for many of them. The adult who chooses to follow christ must embrace more literally his difficult command to love one's enemies
6: they particularly felt that the Son of mouth in matthew had been unhelpfully made more figurative than they wanted to see and so they took the teachings to love your enemies to good to those who persecute you to many things are in in matthew 5 through 7 As being meant as literal teachings that Christians should seek to actually enact in their daily living. Accordingly, Anabaptists begin preaching
3: that it's wrong to join the military
1: in general i think that the principle is that jesus calls us to act nonviolently, to seek to, to find ways that are are not going to perpetrate violence
3: not to continue the cycle of violence on others these ideas of pacifism are advanced greatly by mennon simons who later gives his name to the mennonite church mennon simons was a catholic
2: priest who brother was involved with some radical Anabaptists who were one of the rare groups of Anabaptists who actually were violent.
3: One of the most extreme groups takes over the city of Münster, Germany, in 1535, determined to usher in the kingdom of God by force.
6: They thought Christ was about to return, and they were finally going to participate in putting down evil in the world.
3: Like many Anabaptists, Melo Siemens is horrified at the actions of this fringe group but he is still considered guilty by association.
6: When Menno saw how they ran off the rails in Uzbek, he said, this is an abomination. We are people of peace. They have never caught Menno. Menno would have been road killed. They could have caught him. The city is laid to siege by joint
7: Protestant Catholic forces. Eventually, it collapses and the leaders are tortured and displayed publicly. before
3: The disorganization and diversity of the movement only fuels the persecution.
4: Another important aspect of Mena Simons is the fact that he traveled widely. So even though he was a fugitive, he traveled around the Netherlands, northern Germany, all the way to Danzig, and related to different groups, building a movement by making sure they were on the same page with their
5: beliefs and practices.
4: There was no one unified Anabaptist movement. Anabaptists are not the same as Catholics or Lutherans. There was no unified church structure, nobody at the top, dictating what people should do.
3: As each congregation takes on its own personality, the Anabaptists become less organized.
4: You have many different groups, many different prophets and prophetesses, many different interpretations of the Bible, all feeling as though they're being led by the Holy Spirit.
0: Anabaptists tend to be toward the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And once they become Anabaptists, they fall even lower because, of course, they are persecuted by everyone. In
4: only a few cases did Anabaptists gain the protection of nobles. But most of these folks were peasants, they were artisans, some were urban, some were rural but it was a movement of the people.
3: Anabaptists even extend grace to the hated Turks, who have been threatening European Christians for more than a century.
2: So, Michael Sattler was a very important leader in the early Anabaptist movement. Uh, He'd been a, a Catholic priest and became an Anabaptist, and a big part of his beliefs were that Christians should not take up arms and that part of Europe was under threat from the Turks coming from the southeast and Sattler, when he was on trial uh, for his life, he told the the people in the trial that he would not, uh, he believed in loving his enemies and that uh, all Christians should believe that and so the Turks were really doing what Turks did and the Christians were doing what Christians should not do and so he was actually way more critical of the Christians for fighting than he was of the Turks.
1: make war against each other they start by demonizing the enemy and making the enemy out to be less than human Uh, as I understand the command of Jesus and something was written by Paul as well in the epistles was that we are actually to work at humanizing the enemy by feeding and clothing those that are seen as our enemies and one of the reasons we do that is the reminder that they too are humans and that we share the common humanity of needing food
2: and clothing. Progressively, there, there could be a sense of, of human rights, of individual rights, um, a check against the uh, authority of
3: traditional um, hierarchies of power. Though the church has had some kind of hierarchy for most of its history, the Anabaptists can find no support for it in scripture. They want to flatten the structure and create a democratic congregation.
4: Anabaptists are non-hierarchical, so there was nobody from the top dictating what they should believe, how they should worship, what kinds of practices they should do. This then led to a lot of diversity in the movement because uh, they were basing their ideas on scripture, but everybody was interpreting it in different ways.
3: And though the Anabaptists believe the Reformation is bringing much needed change, they don't believe the Reformers are addressing what they see as the core problem, the Church's symbiotic relationship with the state. We had Baptists,
2: the central motif for, for Christian life was uh, Jesus' message, Jesus' way, Jesus' teaching, how Jesus lived, and the community that Jesus created around him and that continued after his death and resurrection. And the Anabaptists saw this was their model, this kind of uh, radical, uh, caring for each other, living in tension with the wider society. And they saw the Christianity of their day as having been very compromised to uh, uh, the, the world around them, around them. And they really lost the basic spirit of the message of Jesus. Faith should be something that is is authentic, that should be personally chosen,
1: and it should not be something that, uh, it is what you were just born into uh,
2: and not something that's conferred by the state it's, a, it's a, a personal choice the question was really is how did this change happen from this early pacifist Jesus centered church to this later church with uh, hierarchies within the church and where the church and state were fully linked together and the
3: church was uh, basically embracing violence the mere suggestion The church and state should be totally separate, cast to the heart of European society, and Anabaptists will pay the price for their temerity. In 1525, an offshoot of the reformers in Zurich, Switzerland, is questioning the fundamental relationship between church and state. These so-called Anabaptists trace the problem back to the 4th century when Emperor Constantine embraced Christianity and Emperor Theodosius made it the state religion of the Roman Empire. The Anabaptists were just as critical of the Protestants as they
2: were of the Catholics insofar as the Protestants, like the Catholics, felt that the Church and the geographical territory should be exactly the same.
4: Anabaptists rejected all use of the sword. Uh, They also rejected uh, positions of government, partly because of the fact that they might need to wield the sword in uh, cases of uh, the death penalty or making decisions about defense.
3: The belief that one should be as free to leave the church as one is to enter stands in stark contrast to the widely accepted idea that heretics are a threat to society and should be executed.
2: I think the Anabaptist theology of church membership had at its heart that church membership should be only for people who are making the choice to follow Jesus, Uh, and and so it's very different from the idea of membership in the state church where everybody belongs to the church, and so in that sense, it was, they were really pioneers in kind of imagining that you could have uh, Christianity, you could have the church without it being part of the state. And so in that sense, I think they really did contribute to what evolved to be the separation of church and state, even though they weren't self-consciously trying to
3: argue for that in their own time and place. Though the leaders of the Anabaptists are students of the powerful reformer Zwingli, he is deeply offended by many of their beliefs. Zwingli, who was put into power by the city council of Zurich, is convinced that the Council is an asset to furthering the cause of the reformers.
4: Swingley was a political, pragmatic man, and he did not want to anger the City Council. For him, reform
5: had to move along with their approval. Once you have government support, arguing for the separation of church and state doesn't really make a lot of sense.
3: Swingley and the Zurich City Council are in agreement that this radical new movement must be extinguished. On January the 21st, 1525, the Zurich Council passes a law forbidding the Anabaptists from meeting as a group.
6: It also orders them to baptize their children. This was a threat to the uh, whole uh, culture, uh, I'm sorry, moment. so the regime came down on them and said either get that, your babies baptized or get out. That very night,
3: the Anabaptists meet in the home of Felix Munz and baptize one another as adults immediately after the meeting in Muncy's home the Zurich Council with the approval of Swingley expels the Anabaptist leaders from Zurich the rank and file Anabaptists are fined when that doesn't stop the radical reformers some are imprisoned that too isn't enough within days Farmers in a nearby village are baptized, and the movement begins to spread across Europe. At first, Martin Luther is uncomfortable with persecuting these radicals. He even said that an Anabaptist
7: preacher may be actually preaching the gospel. He admitted that much.
3: Yet as the movement gains strength, Luther's views change. For every convert, the Anabaptists create manifold enemies they quickly find themselves on the outside of not just the reformers but of society itself they said we need to follow Jesus all the time and if the
2: world won't let us do it all the time we need to find a place separate from the world where we can do it they
7: developed their own communities sort of utopian communities out in the country they had no laws they refused to pay taxes they wouldn't serve in the army and they thought that this was the true church that they had the true interpretation of Scripture Anabaptists were the one group that Lutherans and Catholics could all agree
3: on as being evil. From the moment they defined Ulrich Zwingli and the Zurich City Council by rebaptizing adults, the Anabaptists are a hunted people. There were many martyrdoms, and sometimes the only difference
7: was the way that they executed them. Sometimes Protestants liked to drown them. They thought this was sort of humorous as a second baptism and Catholics would burn them at the
3: Within its first two years, the movement's brightest, most learned leaders, including Felix Muntz, are executed. Muntz's death is approved by none other than his former teacher, Ulrich Swingley.
5: Felix Muntz was arrested after several times of being told not to participate in the Anabaptists, not to do adult baptisms. Felix Muntz refused. Felix Mons was put on trial in Zurich and then drowned alive in the limos. They tied his hands and arms together and pushed him under the water. And Zwingli was the chief pastor of Zurich at the time.
3: In spite of the risks, many are persuaded by the Anabaptists' commitment to nonviolence.
1: There's a famous story on Dirk Willems who was... Uh, being chased by his persecutor who fell through the ice and, and went back to help his persecutor out, even though it was not in his own interest to do so. It goes
3: back to what was modeled in Jesus. After saving his captor, villains is arrested and later executed. He becomes a martyr for the movement.
1: The leaders were killed, but there were new leaders that immediately rose to take their place. And... And so you see resurrection play out in different ways. It's not that they physically came back to life, but there were new people to to carry on the faith and to live out those values. Something about the persecution forces one to to really make choices
3: of what you believe and what you're ready to stand up for and what you're willing to die for. The radical movement spreads as traveling preachers show up in remote towns and convert followers.
2: In Catholicism and regular Protestantism, everybody in the territory was part of the church. So you didn't need to try to evangelize to uh, persuade people to become part of the church. But in a Baptist, only believers were part of the church. And so everybody who was part of the church had to make the decision to take that step. And so for the Anabaptists, evangelism was very central, because for the Church to survive, you need to continually
3: be welcoming new people, people who choose to be part of the Church. With the same certainty that Luther and Zwingli had when they challenged the Catholic Church, the Anabaptists are confident.
0: Just uh, a few things about that that came up in that uh, segment that I'd like to highlight. Did you hear the uh, Roman Catholic priest talk about baptism and say when one is baptized, they are regenerated? Mm -hmm. If you notice that. Regenerated means born again. So when one is baptized according to Roman Catholicism, then that's when someone receives the spirit, spiritual life, infant baptism. Well, that's a, that's a big deal, right? Uh, that's a big theological issue, as you might imagine. Now, I just want to make the point to you that there are people who don't believe in infant baptism, but who still believe in baptismal regeneration. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but the idea is, you're regenerated when you're baptized, even if that's as an adult, even if that's as a believer. You're not you don't you're not given spiritual life when you believe. You're given spiritual life when you're baptized. You know anybody who believes that?
5: Church
0: of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> anybody know any Church of Christ's around mm-hmm. here? I mean, there are Church of Christ with the name. Church of Christ. There's a Trenton Church of Christ. They believe that. But then there are Church of Christ that don't have Church of Christ on them. Okay. Anybody know any of those? No.
5: South Point, across the street.
0: Yeah, across the street. Uh, so South Point Community Christian Church, the Christian Church. Not every sign you see that says Christian Church is part of the Campbellite, it's called, because it's really started by a couple of brothers named Campbell, Contrary to what they claim, that they go back to the New Testament. But the Campbells started this. Uh, But not every church then you see that has Christian on it is part of that, but most are. So Church of Christ and Christian Church are actually part of the same theological stream. Now why the different names? Uh, There was a split over the issue of music. So you have your Church of Christ Churches of Christ, most of them that say Church of Christ on the sign, when you go in, the uh, singing will be a cappella. No instruments. But the split meant that the Christian churches still believed all the theology but with rock and roll. <laughs> which is the idea. So we, we have Twin Oaks Christian Church. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So it's my job to let you know what uh, false teachings are out there. Baptismal regeneration is one of those, but very few people who are involved in these things know that. Yes.
5: Um, is this an okay time to bring up uh, covenant theology
0: sure. regarding baptism? Yeah, yeah, um, it's good. Yeah.
5: And what we believe.
0: So that was another thing that was said in the segment, which is that. The view was that when someone is baptized, they are initiated into the community of faith.
1: Right, and it replaces circumcision.
0: Right. And they said that Mm -hmm. on here, too. So the idea is that many believe today, then and today, who practice infant baptism, that it is replacing, uh, it's just continuing what circumcision used to do in Israel. And this is the Christian form of what circumcision, what circumcision did. Um, yeah, you know, one problem that I always point out to people with regard to that is that there were no females who were who were circumcised. So, however, whatever parallel you want to make between these, it's going to fall apart, since everybody, uh, males and females, are supposed to be su- supposed to be baptized. But that's the the idea. It's wrong um, in my view. I hate to say in my view because if I just said it, then it's obviously in my view. So it's redundant. I don't feel like I always have to say in my opinion or in my view. So if I'm affirming something, do we all agree then that it's my view? Okay. I feel better having gotten that off my chest. (laughs) So it's wrong. Is Covenant theology is wrong. It's wrong in saying that the way someone is initiated into the covenant community is through baptism. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like Donkey Kong or something, or or Super Mario Brothers. I thought she was, are you winning? It's the (laughs) only
7: (laughs) thing I can literally hear, so...
0: So there's there's that, and uh, and and so we believe that scriptures teach that someone is initiated into the community of faith when they, by an act of faith, believe in the person and work of of Christ. So it can't be done for them. It can't be done when they're not able to believe. It can't be done at an age uh, prior to that ability to uh, to do that. Uh, so. And there's nothing in the New Testament that would tell us to to do that, to baptize infants. So there's there's that issue of baptismal regeneration. Um, Also, did you notice that they said that for Anabaptists, evangelism is required? Because it's only for believers who can come into the community of faith. So people don't automatically come in by being born into a particular family. Think about centuries of having people in a particular faith simply because they were born physically into a family. Think about how that perpetuates then the institution. Think about how much harder it is, frankly, to have to actually go out and give people the gospel and then invite people to believe and then to become part of the the church. And yet that's, of course, what we have to do. That's what's meant by evangelical. You'll hear that term sometimes, evangelicals. You'll hear it on TV. How did the, even politically, how did the evangelical vote go? What's meant by the evangelical? Evangelical means that there has to be a conversion to enter the community of faith. That you don't enter the community of faith simply through uh, being born into it. You're born again into it. And that can only happen by a conscious, intentional decision. So that's us. We're part, then, of the evangelical movement, but it's broader than just Baptists. There are others who believe believe that as well. Uh, but that's what's meant by evangelical. Someone has to undergo a conversion in order to be a Christian, in order to be part of the, the community of faith. But that's foreign. It's completely foreign to people who've <clears throat> just grown up in a church that they were born into, They don't understand this emphasis on why you have to be aggressive and intentional about telling people and getting people in. I just experienced this within the last two weeks. You guys remember that out on 4th Street we used to have a banner that said Community Bible Church is buried back in the subdivision? The homeowner who let us do that got a new fence and told us a few months ago, I'm getting a new fence, and you won't be able to put your sign up anymore. And uh, this homeowner was a friend of a friend, someone who had been associated with the church and knew this person. So I talked to them, and I said, well, we'll even pay you to let us put it on the fence. And if it does any damage to your fence, we'll buy you a new fence. You know, all kinds of things. But they, they didn't want to do it. And I'm still unclear as to why they didn't want to do it. I have a theory, but... I'm unclear as to why they want to stop. They'd allowed us to do it for a couple of years. It's been very helpful to us. People who wouldn't know we were back here, there are people who are members of our church right now who found us because of that. We're going to be talking to some of the other neighbors. Hey, do you want any money? So we'll be talking about, well, what's that have to do with this whole evangelical thing? Well, one of the guys in our church who was helping us track that down and working with this uh, family to see if we couldn't work something out called the city to see if we couldn't put up some other kind of sign. If they won't let us do that, can we put up some other kind of sign out on 4th Street? And when he called the city of Trenton, he got an earful. An earful about us having this banner out on this fence. Now, the city of Trenton has no sign ordinance, by the way. They don't have anything that prohibits that. Uh, But they don't like it. And as I say, it was reported to me, really got an earful about that. And one of the statements that was made in giving this earful was why do churches think they got to advertise themselves? <laughs> now, do you see where this is coming from, though? Mm-hmm. The, this is my educated guess that the person saying that is coming from a tradition where people are simply born into the church. If you're born into the church, you don't understand why these churches go and do this stuff. Why do you have to go out and put banners out there and go and put stuff on, you know, hang stuff on people's doors, you know, to invite them and all of that? It's because it's an evangelical church. It's not a Catholic church. It's not some other church in which someone is baptized as an infant. And so you'll have that kind of bias and and uninformed bias. And the person really doesn't understand. The difference between the church they're in, or that they were baptized into, and a church like ours, in which you have to go to the highways and byways. Uh, just a couple other things that come out of all of this. Now, you're now starting to see then the development or the and the restoration of independent, autonomous churches, because they're not tied to the state; they don't have a hierarchy. What that means then is for Anabaptists and then the Baptists who follow and other Baptistic evangelicals who would come later, for all of that, it means there's no hierarchy that dictates what the church is going to look like. So if you see a Baptist church, you haven't seen the Baptist church down the street because they're different. If you go into a Catholic church, pretty much if you've seen one what you've seen them all why is that because there's a central hierarchy that determines what's done and how it's done so when you go into one you know what it is but that's not true of baptist churches if you've seen one you haven't seen them all they can be quite different and that can have a very negative that can have a very negative effect on A Baptist. Because if you have out on your sign Baptist, you are now associated with all the other Baptists. In the minds of people who are from backgrounds, where if you've seen one, you've seen them all. So they think if they've known one crazy Baptist, (laughs) and heaven knows there are lots of them, So if you've run into a crazy Baptist at work or you saw on TV Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas protesting at military funerals because the deaths of these soldiers are God's judgment, say they, on America and holding up signs, death to fags, Westboro Baptist Church. If you've seen that, you've seen every Baptist church there is in their mind. This was why in January of 2013, our church voted to change our name. The, the very thing I'm telling you about. To Community Bible Church from Community Baptist Church, because that was that was happening. And, and I've got testimonies from people who are in our church, who God, of course, can and does work through all of this, to allow people to come in contact with you and not reject you immediately when they hear you're a Baptist. Uh, But that's what their immediate reaction is if they've had those kinds of experiences. I'm thinking of one guy who's a member of our church right now who told me later, I would have never seen myself coming to a Baptist church. No, not you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you fit that too, right? (laughs) But uh, no, another brother. And uh, God just worked in his circumstances so that he met some people from our church and we were able to break down those barriers. But they see a sign that says, Baptist, they're not coming in. The reason they're not coming in because they think all of us are like that. Yes?
6: What about full gospel Baptist churches?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, there are full gospel churches. I don't think there are full gospel Baptist churches, although with independence there could be any combination and permutation and but they're full gospel churches now full gospel churches are pentecostal so the idea is we like me i only have a half or three-quarter gospel and the reason is is because i've missed out on the holy spirit and the fullness of the holy spirit so the full gospel piece is that You've got God the Father right, you've got God the Son right, you just don't have God the Holy Spirit right. If you're going to have a full gospel, you've got to get all that right. That's what that means. Yeah. So that's another then practical issue that comes out of this. You've got no hierarchy, therefore you've got independence and autonomy of these churches, but it means if you've seen one, you have not, uh, you've not necessarily seen them all. And then just a couple of other things. Uh, in this segment they said, that the radicals, the radical reformers, were reading uh, the same Bible as the reformers were, and they're coming to these different conclusions. Well, I would just quibble with that uh, because the reformers did not get those practices from reading the Bible. I mean, Swingley admitted that. You know, I've given you the quote, and then they confirmed that. that Fingley was, he understood what the Bible taught. He just also understood that practically it wouldn't work well to get rid of infant baptism. So it wasn't one biblical interpretation versus another biblical interpretation. It was biblical interpretation versus tradition and a very strong tradition. Which, if done away, would have far-reaching effects that caused Fingley to to stay with it, as the quotes on page twenty-five, page twenty-five say. Last thing is this: Did you catch then who it was that was drowning the Anabaptists and and burning them at the stake? It was
5: Protestants. It
0: was Protestants killing Protestants. I mean, Catholics too. But the but the Protestant reformers actually killed the radical reformers. And the radical reformers are our forebears. You can see in the Anabaptists things that we believe. Chief among them, believers' baptism. But you could also see some things that we don't believe the pacifism, uh, that you couldn't be a part of the military or, or any of that. Uh, so they think that they were, they were wrong about that. Jesus told. His disciples on occasion, take us take a sword with you. That's not to foul your nails on the way. Okay. So if you have to defend yourself, do do that. So uh, but obviously very committed people to the point of death. And these, as I say, are our forebears. The Baptist movement will then come out of that. And just see how important this issue then of believers baptism is it affects lots of things and historically people gave their lives for that truth so it's not a small deal what baptism is what it represents if somebody says you're regenerated when you get baptized that's not a small deal that's a huge deal and that's why, why I, meant, I name names on that, not to just be unkind, but I do that so that you know that this is a big deal and that these doctrines that were being fought at that time still have their manifestations today. All right, page 26. So as you compare and contrast the Reformation with the Radical Reformation, <clears throat> You've got the Reformation approach where you had the reformers' priorities and what they cared about. There were particular doctrines that they cared about and particular practices that they cared about reforming. And frankly, they were right to prioritize these things. These are the priority issues. It would have just been great had they, having done this, then went further. That's what the radicals did, they went further. <laughs> But the reformers focused on these key doctrinal issues of justification, by faith alone, sola fide, and biblical authority. that Our authority comes from the scriptures and the priesthood of the believer. So there is not a priest required in order for you to have access to God. But the individual can, can now approach God. So they had these selected and very important doctrinal reforms extremely foundational important issues, but also select practices that needed to be addressed. The Mass and the heresy of the Mass, that Christ is being re-crucified every time the Mass is performed. Indulgences. The 95 theses that Luther nailed to the church door, most of those 95 were about indulgences. Jim asked me before we started, are indulgences still a thing? The answer is yes. <coughs> people are surprised to know that. absolutely yes. Indulgences are, are still part of Catholic doctrine to get people out of purgatory. The treasury of merit, which is something, that's a name that they use, a treasury of merit. The idea is that there is a storehouse of works, good works, merit, that have been done by Christ, by Mary, by the saints, by then the good works of the faithful, all of these get put into the treasury of merit. It is like the treasury of merit is like a a huge bank with deposits of good works put in it. Now the question is, how do you get withdrawals out of the bank? And the withdrawals are done through indulgences. Indulgences allow withdrawals out of the treasury of merit that then reduce someone's time in purgatory. And that is all still official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And then the papacy and the authority of the Pope. Now, the reformers' pragmatism. So they make all of these reforms on these very important issues. But then they were pragmatic with regard to liturgy and and polity, as I said earlier. We've noted the hesitancy of the reformers to thoroughly reform the church, owing to their background in the Roman system. The residue of the Roman church can be seen primarily in the structure of the denominations, both liturgical and political, so you see it in communion. You know, Luther just struggled mightily with what to do with communion. He, he, he knew transubstantiation was not true, that this literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus, but he just couldn't, he just couldn't get away from it. So he comes up with consubstantiation. With baptism, the infant baptism, they just couldn't get away from it. The idea that the church and the state should be related, they couldn't get away from it. They refused to. So the radical reformers then uh, took those issues on and they went further with it. And we will pick it up there next week.